That video is called The Romans Road, right? That, that the book of Romans is full of the doctrine of salvation. It's such a good book, and we are digging deep into it, right? And, uh, and we are in chapter 10 of Romans. I'd encourage you, grab your Bibles, open your Bibles. If you have the Bible app on your phone, get there to Romans chapter 10. Um, here at New Hope, if you're new around here, we go through books of the Bible. That's how we teach, through scriptures, and we try to make God's Word make sense to you so you can understand it and you can take it home with you, and it makes sense on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday that we want it to change your life, right? That, that we understand how God has spoken to us and what He wants to say. And uh, so I'd encourage you to do a couple of things. One, um, if you haven't grabbed one yet, we always have these series guides that we create for each of the series. And on it, there's a de- devotional uh, pattern that you can use called the SOAP method. You read the scripture, make an observation, how does it apply to your life, and then pray, spend time with God in prayer. And on the back is verses that you can read in prep- preparation for that Sunday. So you're cheating. <laughs> you're cheating and reading ahead uh, to the Sunday that we're um, going to be preaching. And so those of you who have been in there, you've already been reading Romans 10, and, um, and you can come up and preach. Uh, who's ready? All right. Um, the thing is with Romans, it, there's some difficult things that we really try to make simple. And I'm hoping today um, that we can continue to do that as we dig into this. Now, on the bottom of that, there's always a memory verse as well. And the memory verse for this part of the series is Romans 10, verse 13, which is today we're going to understand this deeper, okay? Um, so let's read this out loud together as we want to hide God's word in our heart so it moves to our hands, uh, that it changes us. All right, so here we go. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This today we're talking about salvation and this great that I kind of emphasize in here, everyone. What does that mean, okay? In, in chapters 9, 10, and 11, we're learning about Israel, God's chosen people that he picked in the Old Testament. It's our faith history. We read about the history of Israel, of the Jews, and, and we're learning now about their past was last week, their present today, and their future is, is the next chapter, chapter 11. And so that's what we're kind of learning as we understand um, the, these passages and dig into them. We're learning that God gave the Israelites the promises, right? The Messiah came through the lineage of Israel and, and, and the Jewish nation. And, um, and so that's the past and now today we're digging into the present, which is unfortunate because we're talking about Israel's rejection of the Messiah, of the truth in the word. And then we're going to talk about next week, the redemption. And what does it, what does that mean? What does that look like? Okay. And so that's what we're talking about today. Now, um, here at New Hope, we, when we read scripture and I'm going to read the passage today in uh, chapter 10, we always stand and as we read God's word. So if you would stand with me as we read um, the passage for today, as we uh, start the message this morning, and I'm only going to be reading the first four verses, okay? So, so Romans chapter 10, and we're going to start verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read it, and you can read along in your own copy that you have in front of you. I'm reading from the NIV um, this morning. Actually, let me just, I always forget to put that slide up there. So, all right. So this is what it says. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. All right, let's pray. God, this morning, as we dig into this idea 
that you have given us, this, this, of righteousness? Where does it come from? And the, the idea for us, where we are today, what does that mean for us? And how we walk into that. I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, would you speak to each of us? I know you already are. You're already saying some things. But I'm praying, would you use your word and use uh, my words for however you want to use them? And that, um, and that you would speak your life into us. And we just ask this in Christ's name. Everybody said amen. 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 Awesome. You guys can have a seat. So it was my senior year of high school. And um, I, I, uh, from 7th grade to 11th grade, I went to Central Christian High School, if you know where that's at, um, in Kidron. So I was out in Mennonite Amish land um, going to school. Um, and then my senior year, I had to go to a brand new school in the middle of a cornfield town called Macomb. And most of you never heard of that place. There's a reason. Um, it's a small town. And so, um, and so when I went to this new high school, public high school, I already had pretty much all my credits to graduate except for one, and one class I had to take to do what the state required for me to graduate, but I still had to, you know, just go to high school. It was different back then, you know? Um, nowadays, kids, like, my kids, like, they did so much stuff online, and they did college classes, and I'm like, I didn't have any of that. Like, I had to go classes I hated, you know, because that's what I had to do. Like, so my senior year, I just had to take whatever classes I could take, you know, like current affairs, which was like, that's an easy A class, just... You got to sit there and you get an A. But there was one class I was kind of excited about, and it was physics. I hadn't taken physics, and uh, I went to the class kind of confident. Now, me, just so you know, in high school, I was a horrible student. Like, I was really bad. Um, and I, part of it was I was dyslexic and never really knew that. I didn't, you know, I just kind of coped through school, and, uh, which I think is why I am smart today, because I had to learn skills just to get through and, um, and so it made me learn in a different way. So I learn in a different way um, than, than the majority of people. But with that, uh, I struggled through school. I was a straight C student, you know? I was sometimes Ds, you know? But like I, a C was, woo, I did it, you know, kind of a thing. And, uh, but I went into this physics class thing, and I, had, I, I think I get this. And so we went through the first couple of weeks, and I'm like, oh, I really understand how this is going. And I'm in there with like, like six other kids, right? And so small school, and these are the smartest kids in the school, and me, right? And so I'm a straight C student. And I'm thinking, I got it. I figured it out. I understand. And then we get to the first test, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do really good on this test. And I take the test, and I get an F on the first test. Dang it. So by the end of that whole year that I was taking physics, he gave me a D minus just so, just so I could like, you know, but the whole time I was thinking, I understand it. And then I'd get to the next month, I understand what he's teaching. I understand what he's saying. And then I'd get the test. And then again, you know, I'd be like, what the heck? Have you ever done anything like that? Where if you felt like so confident that you're like, oh, I get it. I understand it. And then like when you get to that thing, it's just, you just fall on your face. Or like that it's not what you thought it was or you just got the wrong answer. Whatever it might have been. Happens at different points in life that you go through. You can have this really big confidence, but your confidence is actually in something that was wrong. That is what Paul is talking about at the beginning of chapter 10. We know in chapter 9, Paul was talking about his people, right, the Jews, and he said, I would give up everything for them to be saved. That's how passionate he was about his own nation, his own people, and he kind of repeats himself in the top of chapter 10, right? He's, he's like, brothers and sisters, it's my heart's desire and prayer that they would all be saved. Like, he is, he, that's what he wants. And then he talks about their zeal. They're zealous for God, 
the Jews were. All, you read the Old Testament, and you see that they created all these laws. God gave them laws and rules to how, how to relate with each other and how to relate with him, and, and then they added more, and then they added some more, and then they added some more, and where it became a religion. And they're like, they're zealous for their religion, but they're actually far from God. They think they're doing the right thing, but they're wrong. They're off. And so the Jews were zealous, but they had a misplaced passion, which is unfortunate. As we read this chapter, we're going to see the present state of Israel, the present state of the majority of the Jews that are, that are on the planet today. And that, that pattern that has been since the birth of the church in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we've seen this continued pattern. Because their zealousness is actually called self-righteousness. They think they know what they're doing, and they think they have all the right rules and the right way and the right things, and so they are being right in their own eyes because they're keeping their things that they set up in place that says that makes me right. But the problem is they're wrong. And this is what Paul is saying. He's like, this is the unfortunate reality. And so this is first fill in the blank. Self-righteousness is false security. It's like me thinking I know physics, I got this, and then getting an F on the test, right? Like I was kind of self-righteous about, I got this, and fail, right? Like that's what self-righteousness is, and Paul is saying self-righteousness is false security, meaning the Jews, they had a false security in salvation. They had a false security that they thought they were with God, um, but it was false. It wasn't real. It was religion. It was works. That's what self-righteousness is. Faith in Christ brings eternal security. It's not self-righteousness. Then we're going to read through this chapter. It's not self-righteousness that gets you to God. It's faith that gets you to God. And you can choose. You can live for one or live for the other. One is going to be a zealousness that's wrong, and one is going to be a humility that leads to right. Okay? So self-righteousness is a false security. Faith in Christ is the only thing that brings eternal security. It's the only thing that makes you right before God. There's a value attached to both of these, right? Like for the Jews, this is what Paul is saying. For the Jews, them doing the law, them doing a lot of right good stuff, the things that they think they're supposed to do, that is that, the cost of their righteousness was them doing that good stuff. It was based on their work. So their work produced their rightness before God, and so the value of that work was the value of their own work. When, when we see with the gospel, it's completely opposite. The value of imparted righteousness, the, the righteousness we get through Christ, was based on God's work and his finished and complete work on the cross that brought us salvation. I'm telling you, which work would you rather put your weight in? Amen. Not mine. Because my work on my best day, C minus, right? <laughs> like, like, that's my best, you know, in school, yes. But I would say in life too. Like when we think about our best day, if we're ranking us in God's perfection and holiness as an A, and um, us rejecting him as an F, I'm somewhere in the middle. <laughs> you know, that's, that's where I'm maybe, maybe like closer to one side than the other. Our work does not measure up. To God's righteousness. I'd rather let him be the one that did the work to give me his righteousness. You with me? Okay. This is what it, we're going to go back in Romans a little bit to chapter 3. This is what, it, what Paul said in chapter 3, verses 21 22. It says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. So, apart from the law, 
meaning it's outside of the law. It, the law wasn't the thing that made them right. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So the law and the prophets just pointed towards this awesome righteousness that we get to have. This righteousness is given through what? Faith, Faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Self-righteousness leads to damnation. Christ's righteousness is the only pathway for eternal security. Period. So I'm starting right at the, boom, here you go, right? <laughs> There's the truth about righteousness. You can't be right enough in your own rightness. You will not have a passing grade in the presence of God's holiness. You can't get there on your own. It takes faith. This is, this is the root of, of what we we're going to talk about today, is this whole idea of faith. Faith is what brings us to God's righteousness. It takes faith to believe that Jesus did this for you, right? Last week, I used the illustration of oxygen in the air, and I had to do this. Let's all do this together again. Let's all take one big breath. Everybody breathe in. Everybody breathe out. Some of you had a lot of coffee this morning. My goodness. No, I'm just kidding. Like, I, and, and what I explained last week is you just had a lot of faith right there. You had faith that there's enough oxygen in this room that when you inhale, it's going to put oxygen into your lungs. And your body's going to take whatever that is coming in this. You can't see this oxygen. You can't see what's going on inside of it. When it goes in, your body's going to take what it needs out of that air, out of that oxygen, and it's going to expel the things you don't need, the carbon dioxide, right, that, that comes out because that's not what you need. And your body's doing this all the time, right? And it, it, you don't understand what's happening. You can't see it. It takes faith to trust there's oxygen in the room and your lungs are doing what they're supposed to do. That is a, like a practical faith. This is the same thing. We're talking about having a faith in the God you cannot see, you cannot feel, but his promises are true and real. He's done this for you. That's faith. It takes faith. Not your works. Not your self-righteousness. And so don't be zealous for the wrong things is what, is what he's saying. Don't be zealous for the wrong things. So let's keep reading, okay? Because he talks more about this faith thing. So the present state of the Jews right now is they're still trying to get to God on their own self-righteousness. We're going to talk about that a little bit. All right, so let's keep reading. Um, so verse 5. Everybody with me? Say yep. yep. All right. Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend to the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith that we proclaim. He's like, this is what works try to do. Works tries to climb up to the heights to get Jesus. I need to work to get him, or I need to go to the depths because he's not alive. I need to make him alive in my life, right? That's works to try to get there. He's like, that doesn't work. This is what we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Where Your heart. When he says heart, it's not like... It's not the ooey-gooey, like, lovey, emotional heart thing. You know, it's, this isn't like Valentine's Day heart. Like, this is like the, the, kind of the center of your being heart. This is all of who you are in your heart kind of thing. 
for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. We define that just as if I had not sinned, right? That we are justified before God. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So there's stuff happening here. How do you get salvation? Not by your own righteousness. It's, he's explaining how you can be saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. That's a good promise right there. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Now, that would have been an offensive phrase to the Jews. Excuse me? We have the law of the prophets and Moses, and we've got the history of the promises, and the Messiah came from us. You saying these Gentiles over here are the same as? And Paul's like, yeah. Because it's not about any of that. It's not about who's whose family you're in, right? We learned that last week. It's not about what you did. It's not about your lineage. It's not any of that stuff. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. All of us are the same. It's the same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For, say it with me, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How many of them? Everyone, all of them. He's saying there's, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference between any of us being sinners. We're all sinners. We're all equal. That's chapters one through five we learned, right? Like we, none of us can climb the ladder to heaven. We are all on the same playing field when it comes to needing God to save us. And the good news that he's proclaiming to especially the Jewish believers in Rome in this point, he's letting them know, just so you know, we're all the same. There is no self-righteousness. There is no law that will get you there. We are all the same. And this salvation, this gift can be for everyone. So let me summarize it this way with a fill in the blank. Salvation is giving through belief in your heart and confession through your mouth is what he said. It's belief in your heart. That is called faith, right? Believe in your heart is like, I believe that God did this for me. I know that I know in the depths of my being. He did this for me, and I'm going to trust that he did it for me. So there's that internal, but then there's an external response in the process. So this internal thing is happening, and then it says, and then confession through your mouth. It's always through words. It's, if it's in you, it's coming out of you, Right? If it's, it can't be just like, well, you know, I just kind of, I just kind of, you know, it's just me and God. It's very personal. I'm like, yeah, yes, you and God, that is very personal. Your confession of salvation should never be personal. It is always public. That is why baptism is a public act. It is the external, um, what do I call the wedding ring of, of our faith? It's that sign that says, look what has been, happened inside of me, right? That's, that's a part of what baptism is. It's not salvation, but it's the sign of salvation. It's you publicly saying, yeah, I believe in my heart, and I am confessing, and now I'm showing it to everyone. I am a part of the family of God. I'm cleansed. I'm new. That's what baptism is. It doesn't make you cleansed. It doesn't make you new. It's just the sign of being cleansed and being new before God. And so salvation is through the belief in your heart. And then it comes out and you confess it with your mouth. Just so you know, here in New Hope, every Sunday, I'm going to say, does anybody want to confess? Does anybody want to pray right now? Because I believe I don't want to have anybody leave any message I ever preach without the opportunity to believe in your heart and confess that Jesus saved you. That Jesus is alive and Jesus is Lord.
That's what he says. You got that he was risen from the dead. He is out of the grave. That Jesus is alive and, that, and he is Lord. When you say Lord, it means he ha- has rule and reign in my heart now. He is the one that is making me right before God now. Jesus is actively interceding on my behalf before the court of heaven. And there's no more condemnation and there's no more separation. All these other promises we talked about, right? Immediately yours when you walk into this truth. And the key I wanted you to hear is that salvation is for everyone. Now, for us in the room, I, I don't know if any of you have like Jewish um, backgrounds, if, if that's a part of your genetics or your family past. Awesome. Okay, that's awesome. Most of us in this room, we don't have that. And, um, and, but the thing is, still today, we still think there's people that we know that are too far gone to be saved, right? We may not have the Jew-Gentile categories, but we have the me and them categories. And so we will like push people away because like, not them, not that group, or not, not this dude at work. I don't think so. And what, what Paul is saying is, everyone everyone honestly the worst of the worst the only thing that will change them is Jesus it's not you arguing it's not you it's actually you just figuring out how, how can I love this person and they're crazy how, what, how, what should I do if God lays somebody on your heart to help I would encourage you to do it to do it because salvation is given through belief in your heart, confession through your mouth that Jesus is alive and Jesus is Lord. It's not works. It's not your family. It's not your heritage. It's not self-righteousness. That salvation is for everyone, all of us. Amen. Okay, I'm going to skip a few verses. I'm going to come back to 14 and 15. Okay, so just boop, we're going to set that aside, put a pin in it. We're going to skip to 16 and we'll come back. Sound good? Okay, we all here? All right, so, so I already said that. <laughs> Salvation for everyone. All right, so let's go into verse 16 because now he's going to dig deeper into the Israelites, okay? And, and so this is a little history we need to understand about the, actually the present condition of the, the Jewish nation, okay? Because he says, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. So in the book of Acts, we see the church was started and Peter preaches the first message and it was the Jews that accepted the message, right? It was them that, it was the the Jews that heard the message in their own language. They accepted, they um, confessed Jesus, repented, and that's when the church started. It was a Jewish movement of Christ followers, okay? And the thing is, this message was first sent out to the Jews because the Messiah was through them and they're like, they need to know first. He came, right? And then it moved from there to the Gentiles Next, and that's what Paul did. He went around and preached. And, and so the thing is, he says, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed your message or our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. It says, but I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, the world's, um, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I asked, did Israel not understand? It's like, are they just hard-hearted? Like, what's going on? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that is, has no understanding. 
And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. He's going back to the prophecies in the Old Testament, explaining the Israelites had all the promises. And then they were brought the good news of the salvation of the Messiah. They say, but even the Old Testament, even the prophets said, they were going to reject. And that a people who weren't a part of their people were going to get the message and respond and repent, right? And belong. It says, but concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands. This is the current position of God. This is the current position of Jesus. His scarred hands are held out, ready for anyone to accept them. He says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. He's talking about the present condition of the Jews. That is still today. This is the current present condition of the majority of Israel. The ones who had the promise, but have rejected it. They've rejected it. And that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a hard prophecy, right? Like, God is saying, I'm trying. He's like, I've done everything. I've done all that I can. But their hearts are disobedient, and they're being obstinate. Anybody ever had a kid who was obstinate? You can tell them and tell them and tell them to do something until you're red on the face. That obstinance, man. This is what he's saying. He's like, come on. Now, what we're going to see, though, here's what I, I want you to just fill in the blank, and I'll explain it. Here's the reality of the Jews. Even though a majority reject God's salvation, and that's the way it's been since the, since the beginning of the church and this movement that we're part of with the Holy Spirit and salvation, even though a majority reject God's salvation, there's always a remnant who accept it. Okay? We see it in the Old Testament. We see stories of like Elijah. Uh, if you read the, about the prophet Elijah, I mean, he did some amazing stuff for God. He was God's mouthpiece, God's, God's guy. Like he went and preached and he went and condemned and he went and brought, called repentance. Like, like Elijah did a lot of amazing stuff. And, and at the culmination of his ministry, he like, he just eradicated all the false idols. There's this... Um, um, Jezebel, that she had all these worshipers to the god of Baal and all this evil stuff. And so up on this mountain, he wanted to prove them wrong. And uh, Mount, is it Mount Carmel? Sounds delicious, right? All right, so they're up there. And, um, and he's saying, okay, why don't you guys, you know, build an altar to your god? A false god, not a real god. And say, build an altar and see if that, your god will bring down fire and, and take, take the offering off that. And, and they said, you know, all day long, they're praying, they're shouting. I love Elijah, right? Because he's like, maybe he's asleep. You know, like, it, even like one point, he's like, maybe he's in the bathroom. Like, like, like literally, like read it. It's so cool. He's like, he's like, and then all of a sudden, he says, now take mine, douse it with water. Soak, soak this altar with water. And he calls God and he goes, God, and it's not even like this crazy prayer. It's just God just show up kind of a prayer. And fire comes down, consumes, and sucks up every drop of water in that place. And God shows up and proves all of their religion wrong and false. They kill all the priests of Baal. I mean, we're talking like crazy stuff. You think he's probably on cloud nine. Like, look what God just did. But he was exhausted. And he ran. He ran from that moment. Now, 
What time we got? Let me do a side sermon. Can I do a side sermon? This has nothing to do with this, this message today, but somebody needs to hear this. Elijah ran, right? He just had a huge success, and he ran away. He was scared of Jezebel coming after him. He was scared because he thought he was the last one of God's uh, prophets and God's people. And he ran and he ran and ran. So he came in the middle of the desert. There's one tree. He lays down, falls asleep in that tree. Just boom, passes out cold. He wakes up. There's bread and water next to him. And there was an angel that says, uh, the journey's too much for you. Eat, drink. I don't know what was like I've never had angel bread, but obviously if an angel's making bread, it's got to be good, right? Like, so whatever it was, it was really good. And um, he was done. He was exhausted. He's like, I'm it. I'm all that's left. I'm tired. Here's my side sermon. Some of you, that's right where you're at. God, I'm just tired. I'm exhausted. I've spent all I got. I've been spinning my wheels. I'm anxious. I'm worried about a lot. When I close my eyes, my mind doesn't turn off. Lies are the things that come into my brain, and I don't know why, but I get stuck in this loop. That's where Elijah was. A prophet of God who just had a huge victory. That's where he was. And, and he says, meet me in the mountain. So that angel bread gives him enough energy to <laughs> track another long journey to get to a mountain. And he goes into a cave, and fire comes, and noise comes, wind comes, earthquake comes, and God was not in any of that until he whispered. A small, still voice to Elijah. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Sometimes we're waiting for God to be like, I'm here. And God's like, I just want you to be here. I want you to be so close and so quiet. You can hear my whisper. For some of you, that's what you need to do in your life. I don't, that's what I need to do right now in my life. I can't wait for vacation. I'm going on vacation in a week. But remember what I talked about? Some of us vacate, but we never heal. Because you vacate your problems, but not let your soul catch up. God wants your soul and your spirit and your heart to catch up to him in a moment of silence and quiet. So part of your soul care summer, just go get quiet. Be where he can whisper to you. Because for Elijah, he whispered to him, he said, Elijah, I'm here. And then he encourages him, he says, by the way, you're not the only one, Elijah. There's a remnant. This is, this is why this is part of the sermon. I've got 7,000 other prophets. Elijah at this point didn't know. He thought he's it. He didn't know what God was up to. And sometimes when we don't know what God's up to, we assume the worst and God's like, no, I'm up to something good. You have to wait for it. I'm up to something good. And he will always save a remnant. He did then, and he still is today. So with the Jews, you see this pattern of God saving a remnant. Okay? So my side sermon for you, if, this is, if I'm speaking to your heart right now, and your God's speaking something into you right now, this is the side sermon. Get away with God. And don't think, well, I will win. Do you know when win comes? Never. It doesn't come because life keeps coming. Like <laughs> the next decision comes, the next meal comes, the next this comes. Like 
And, and the problem is we get addicted to that kind of lifestyle in the United States of America and actually think that kind of lifestyle is what makes us purposeful, right? And it's not. It's all a lie. It's the enemy keeping you busy, distracted, in noise so that God can't speak and you can't walk in obedience and you can't take the next step that God calls you to. I'm asking you, get away and hear his whisper. He wants to say something, okay? Period. Pin in that one. You can, in a minute, God's going to speak to you on that one, okay? Personally. Now, the remnant part. God will always save a remnant. And that's what he did with the Jews, and he's still doing it today with the Jews. There's a remnant of Christ-following, Messianic Jewish believers, okay? Um, I did my research this week. Um, just like Elijah didn't know anybody was saved, there were still 7,000, right? Today on earth, there are seven, there's 16 million Jews alive. Um, and, and out of those 16 million, there are 350,000 Messianic Jews, Jews that believe that Jesus is their Messiah. That's, that's a remnant with the majority still rejecting. It's only 2% of the Jewish population. Population? <laughs> population. I told you I got C's. All right. Um, but in Israel, if you go to Israel today, so... Uh, um, a little under half of that population lives still in Israel today. It's about 7 million, the population of Jews in Israel, and only 15,000 Messianic Jews in Israel. That's 0.2% in Israel are worshiping God and Jesus as their Messiah. The rest are circling in self-righteousness. They're circling and thinking they have the law, they've got the rules, they pray this many times a day, they go to this wall and they do this and they go to the temple but it's all false security. As a Christ follower, I would encourage you to pray for Israel, to pray for the Jews. Last week we learned, like, God has a special relationship there. He, his hands are out, and some are coming. A remnant is coming and responding. What would happen if all of them did? I mean, at one point, every knee is going to bow before Christ. Every single one. I'm, I, I, I don't know what God's going to do in all that. But here's what I do know, is that even though a majority reject God's salvation, and I would say around the planet, even though a majority reject God's salvation, he will always secure a remnant for his name and for his glory. And, um, but it's about us believing and having faith. It's not about us working to climb the ladder to him, okay? Okay, let's, let's go to the last, last section here. So let me go back to verse 14 and 15 because this is, this is really for us today, okay? This part is really for us today. He says, then how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one on whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Verse 15, he says, and, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring, say with me, good news. That is the word gospel. The word gospel means good news. How can the gospel go out if nobody's preaching it? How can anybody preach it if nobody's being sent to do it, right? He's saying, we're supposed to be sent to preach the good news of the gospel, 
And the reality is for us, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have believed and confessed, and you have that real relationship, you are a part of the you. You are sent to preach the salvation of Jesus Christ through faith and His grace. You are called to do that to the lost around you so that your feet can be beautiful, not by going to get a pedicure. They're beautiful because they're attached to the voice that's bringing hope and good news. This is the last film to make. We are all sent with the good news of how Jesus has saved us. We're all sent. Because how are they going to hear if nobody's sent? Right? How are they going to hear if nobody goes? It, it comes out of our mouths. There, uh, there's, there's a false phrase that I've, I've heard, and um, I don't remember who originally came up with it, but it's talking about like um, go out and preach the gospel and if necessary pre- uh, use words they're like just go and love people and, and uh, that's actually false Paul's saying you have to use words the gospel is words now those words better be attached to somebody who loves people <laughs> if it's like be saved you jerk you know like now we've got problems you know like, like <laughs> or if it's like be saved or go to hell you know and that's like whoa hellfire and brimstone like you're gonna scare me into heaven that's not faith that's fear right like no love should be accompanied with the word of the good news of the gospel like you should be loving somebody and showing love as you do it and god had a plan for that and his plan was you (laughs) it was me and and it's not me because of me like i'm the preacher so i do that that's my job you pay me you go we, we have a pastor that does that. We bring our people to that guy. So I don't know how to do it. And Do you know how easy it is? How did God save you? What did he do in your life? That's the story you share. It's like, I, I struggled with something, and I was looking for, and I found God, and he saved me. And all I know is whatever's going on inside of me, I think you need it too. You just share the gospel. <laughs> you just, you, that's all it is. It's how Jesus has saved you, how he saved me. What did he do in your life? And the simple fact is saying, all you have to do is believe and confess. It's all about faith. And the thing, not everybody's ready to respond to that, but they will be ready to respond to you being a loving person and representing God well and continue to love them, even if they're like not ready. I'm like, okay, no pressure. You know where I'm at. like God had a plan in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 there's, there's this is key for you we call it the Great Commission because this is Jesus was talking to his disciples and this is what you're supposed to do now he's like here's your mission if you so choose uh, choose to accept it right and this is what he said therefore go and make disciples of all nations he says baptize them in the name of the Father Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them everything I've taught you right and I'll be with you until the very end of the age that was Jesus' promise with this mission I'm still with you so you're not doing this by yourself. And I'm going to give you even something better than me being with you. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit in you who will help you know what to say. But when we read the Great Commission, I think in consumer Christianity, we rewrite the meaning of words. Because he did not say, therefore, go and be disciples in all nations. 
but that's what we do. I'm going to go to church and be a disciple. He didn't tell us to go be disciples. He told us to go make disciples, which means somebody isn't one, and God's working in their life, and I get to be part of their story to make them into a disciple, to be surrendered to God, to be changed by the Holy Spirit, to look more like Jesus. That's the journey we're all on, to be a disciple. But we're called to go and make disciples. That's the mission. To who around you needs Christ? Everyone. That everyone would be saved. Everyone around you needs Jesus Christ. Who is he asking you to love? Everyone. But I'm going to ask you to think of one person. And over the summer, would you pray, God, help me love them. Help me to love them and help me to talk to them about Christ. Help me get past my fear and to love them so much that my fear doesn't matter in the equation. Because I want them to be a part of your work, God. And I know you have already done everything with your hands out, calling them to be part of the family. This is why this part of the series is called That All May Be Saved. Because God wants all to be saved. And he's asked us, the church, we're, we're plan A for people to be saved. We're not plan B. It's not like, well, I tried to do it on my own. I'm going to start this thing called the church and see if they can help me. Like, no, he said, no, this is the church. And this is my family. This is my body. And this is part of the, what they do. They make disciples. They share the gospel. They go and they're sent, right? And so today, that's my challenge for us is to go and to be sent to share the good news to the, to the one as we look towards the everyone, but pick the one that you're going to be praying for to share the gospel with. All right, we're going to take some time to respond, and I don't know what God's speaking in your heart, but let's just spend some time with him as we respond. So let's, let's just pray for a moment as we do that. God, I thank you for your word. Um, I know you spoke to many of us this morning in, in multiple ways. For some of us, you are... You spoke a word of encouragement to, to many of us in this room just a moment ago. That if even Elijah feels like he has to run away and we're feeling that same thing, that we can't also, just like Elijah, come into your presence and hear your whisper. God, let this be a soul care summer for us. Not just like a retreat or to vacate or to, you know, just to kind of hide away from realities, but. Help us to take our realities to you and that you would actually bring healing to our hearts. I know there are people who are struggling this morning, God, and you want to work in them. So let me talk to the Christians real quick in the room. Aren't you glad you're saved? Amen. Grateful for the work of Jesus. It's finished. My challenge for you is what I've already said. Who's the one in your life that needs Jesus? And this week, I'm going to start praying for them every day. Say, God, I pray for, fill in the blank. Open their eyes to see you. 
and help me to love them today. It can be as simple as that. But every day, would you do that? Would you commit to that? I'd be praying for that person. Now, if you don't know Jesus, like I said, I do not leave a sermon without giving you an opportunity to come to know this Jesus who has paid the price for you. Here's the gospel. God loved you so much, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life to become the perfect sacrifice, to die on the cross, and when he died, he paid for your sin on that cross. Sin is debt that has to be paid before the final judgment in God's presence. Jesus paid for your debt and marked your debt canceled. If you believe in your heart that he died and rose again, and you confess with your mouth that he is your Lord, you can have that same salvation. And so if that's you today, I'm going to ask you to pray. And make it words to God and make your own words. And I always say that. There's no magic words of the pastor. I'm no closer to Jesus than anybody else, right? Like, you get there on you, on what you say, on what you believe. That's it. I can't get you there. But if you want that today, and you want to have the peace now and eternal security with him forever, you can pray right now and receive God. Let's do that. Let's just bow our heads. And if that's you, I would encourage you to pray out loud. And, and uh, I'm going to ask you to do something after that, okay? But you can say, God... I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me and that he rose again and is alive today. I'm asking, would you forgive me of all my sins, God? I'm trusting that you can and that you will. I'm going to repent. I want to change my life. I want to be yours now and forever, God. Give me your Holy Spirit and fill me up with your peace and presence. I want to be yours now I want to be yours forever, so enter in and save me, God. I just confess this only in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, we're going to take some time to respond in a song, and we're going to sing the song we sang earlier, I Speak Jesus, because whatever circumstance you're in, there's no better name to speak over it than Jesus. And 